Hello and welcome to Mothers Matter, the podcast which takes a good look at why mothers matter so much to their children, why mothers matter in society and what matters to mothers themselves. Today's guest is Sam Jackson, Managing Editor of Classic FM and Smooth Radio. He's a father of four and author of the fantastic book Diary of a Desperate Dad. His reflections on being a father, along with the odd bit of research that I throw in, not always seamlessly, highlight just how much fathers matter in their children's and partners' lives. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday family time (laughs) to meet with me today. Or is it relaxing to have a break? I'm escaping. I'm escaping homework, music practice, spellings. Yeah, this is great. So I should actually be thanking your wife for sparing you (laughs) today. Well, we're we're, um, recording the podcast to celebrate Father's Day because it's Mm. Father's Day around now, isn't it? And uh, I know this podcast is Mothers Matter, but obviously Fathers Matter incredibly Mm. much as well. And uh, one reason I wanted to talk to you is because you've written this book called Diary of Desperate Dad. I have. And uh, what I'm interested to know about, because that's from um, naught to five, Mm. guide from naught to five, uh, when you had three children, you now have four. I do. And the oldest is... Very nearly 11. Yeah, Yeah. 10 and a bit. Oh, golly. 10 and quite a bit. So how did you find um, writing the book? Was it cathartic? It was cathartic, yeah. It was like therapy. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I wrote it. I, I didn't intend to write a book. I never intended to write a book about parenting. Um, but I was very fortunate through work to know a publisher very well and we got chatting one day and it was that age-old conversation everyone's got a book in them or have they you know and and if you wrote one what would it be about and I at that point my children I think I had two and one on the way or maybe three and one very very little um, but I was in the eye of the parenting storm in terms of little ones and uh, and I said I'd like to one day write the book for fathers that I wish was around when we had our first because I don't think it exists. And and so this conversation went on and the the process of writing it, I think because I approached it from the position of absolutely not being an expert and not setting myself up as one, it did feel very, um, that there was a huge sense of release in writing about it and and sort of feeling actually, as I I verbalise this, as I get it down on the page, it's it's quite an enjoyable process, yeah. Yes, I think what's really good about the book is uh, all the anecdotes which um, are not in your (laughs) favour. <laughs> Emphasise humility because I th- I discovered early on that no one wants to hear how well behaved other people's children oh, are. Oh no, no, they really don't. And I think when you enter that world or this world of parenting, you your biggest fear you know you know nothing about it you don't need that reinforced and when you then look around and see other people's children supposedly knowing how to do everything or people who, who seem so. Um, au fait with how to be a mum or a dad I think it can just send you into a spiral of despair so yeah it's quite refreshing I think to admit that we're all mm-hmm. we're all bumbling along I remember a friend of mine saying to me she'd had her, her children are older than mine and she had had a uh, an argument with her son about something and her son had retorted mum you'd have a clue what you're doing you're an absolute idiot etc etc and uh, afterwards she sat him down and very wisely I think and, and this this boy is her eldest she said to him do you know what? I actually don't know what I'm doing. When you were born, I didn't know. 
um, now that you're 15, I, I don't know, if you ever get married, that will be a new thing for me. And, and she actually explained to her son, I don't know what I'm doing and I never really will. We're all muddling on through. So yes, that was very much the, um, the tone of the book. Yes, well, it's really helpful and it's it's great to hear about other people's um, experiences and things they found difficult. Um, and I think in terms of being a father as well, it's, I love your quote right at the beginning from um, Homer Simpson, that it's something like, fatherhood isn't easy like motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was brilliant because it's true, isn't it? You have to slightly make up what a father is. You know, there's nothing obvious like a mother you just sort of carry on you've mm. been a mother for nine months largely and you carry on where you left off but with less sleep yeah yeah and I think you know I wouldn't claim obviously for a moment motherhood is is in any way easy however <laughs> what it is I think you're absolutely right there's a very clear identity in being a mother there's a very physical identity mm. in the process before you become one and um you know for, for the vast number of of, of parents of mothers that's been something that they have gone through no father has gone through that so you're sort of trying to um navigate that whole world and again one of the reasons i wrote the book was i felt like every um article or every book i read about fatherhood was along the lines of oh your other half's pregnant you're not gonna be able to get drunk anymore oh how are you gonna cope with it and, and i thought you know most of my friends who became fathers around the time i did and those after, I, I don't think that's how they felt or how I felt. You feel actually this overwhelming sense of responsibility um, and, and you feel woefully underprepared for the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but the joy of it is that's where everybody is. And so, you know, nobody is entering into parenting as an expert. That's it. And you learn, you learn as you go along. Like the mm. first one has to train you. Yeah. But the second one, yeah. the second one comes along and they're totally different. Yes, completely. <laughs> I mean, we have that. Yeah, totally. And you think, right, okay, this is how this bit works. Or they sleep like this. Or when you, you know, you, you, would, you admonish them for something, you do it this way. And, and, and yes, one reacts perfectly, exactly kind of textbook. And the other one is running off being ever more feral over here because, you know, you've got it completely <laughs> wrong. Yeah, it is really difficult. And um, I think as they get older as well, you're, you're always learning. You're always with the oldest one. It's always your first experience of that phase of their life. Mm, mm. And, and also I think they become needy in different ways I've really felt that as my eldest now is about to turn 11 about to go to secondary school and my that's my eldest son my eldest daughter is nearly nine they don't need the same amount I mean, it's an obvious point this but they don't need the same amount of care in the sense of having their food poured into the bowl in the morning having their cereal having everything done they can actually load the dishwasher they can get up they can make their breakfast they can sort themselves out that's very impressive <laughs> well can they? whether they can they can they have the ability to care. whether they actually do it or not is a completely different matter it's amazing that's where I was going wrong yeah I know. they know the physical approach of how to take a plate put in the does theory. it happen does it heck yeah. but, um, but what they need then is that emotional support mm. or they need that that um, that care in a completely different way and I certainly remember thinking naively as my children were sort of growing up getting beyond that preschool era thinking oh great they're now at school this is perfect they can dress themselves wash themselves clean themselves actually yes they can do all that but then they have far more complex emotional needs mm. and you therefore feel um, underprepared in, in that area, don't you? Mm. I remember uh, one of um, Andy's um, work colleagues said, uh, I think he's Dutch, saying small children, small problems. Yeah. <laughs> big children, yeah. big problems. Yeah. And as they get older, you 
Uh, well, the, I, I guess the problems become more significant and you can't fix them mm. as easily because they're outside. You can't just go and deal with this other child who's hit them or something. Totally. I mean, I've, I had a really good parenting talk by um, Catherine Hill from Care for the Family recently, mm. and she made a great point. I think the line was that um, in the, she was talking about children in the playground and... Um, how much your children know about certain things and what they will see, and particularly around things like pornography on phones. And she said, your child is only as protected as the least protected child in their class. <laughs> and I thought, what a good point, because actually mm. those things are beyond that control. So it's no good just thinking, oh, we can cocoon them mm. and we can protect them and all will be well. Yes, you can do that when they're under five, but actually it's about equipping them to go into the world in which we now live, in which they will grow up and are growing up, because... Yes, you are only as protected as the least protected child in your class. It's so true. That is true, actually. When we um, we moved uh, here, when the, when uh, Charlie was about um, year one, I think, and his suddenly his knowledge of swear words went through the roof because people he knew words his older sister didn't know. <laughs> there were people in his class he just knew the whole lot. Yeah, we're yeah. near an army base here, and they, they he just knew everything. And and then also they're big fans of music and. Um, Spotify, so we have Spotify, and uh, the other day I actually had, a, he was 10, conversation with him about some of the songs he was listening to, and he said, okay, I will delete my explicit playlist then. <laughs> and I felt like a great mother, I thought, great, and he did it, I was amazed. Wow. And basically just, and they said, that's a year's work down the drain. <laughs> but you know, you just suddenly, it's from naught to 60, yeah. and they're straight in. Mm. And I remember saying to him one time, okay, do you know what these words mean? Mm. He said, no. I said, right, I'm going to tell you them all <laughs> so you know what it means. It's his best drive home from school ever. <laughs> like, what's this one? What's it? What is this one then? I said, so you can know and never use it. Yeah. It's horrible. That's <laughs> that, that, I, I admire that parenting tactic. It's high risk, isn't it? But actually, if it pays <laughs> off, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I remember, that reminds me of a time my dad, when we were on a walk, um, it was just me and him, and I must have been about, I don't know, nine or ten, mm. and we were walking through the woods and found a discarded packet of cigarettes and he said oh pick those up and bring them them home I thought what I didn't really think about it okay we got home and he said right I'm gonna light one of these and we lit this horrible sort of end of this cigarette and uh and he made me try it and I and I the, the taste of it was so horrible that all the way through school, if anyone ever offered me a cigarette, I would turn it down. Mm. Uh, and I didn't smoke, but I do still joke with him now that it was either that, and thankfully it paid off, or your son's an addict for the age of nine, you know, 60 a yes. day. <laughs> as long as he got discarded once. Okay. Yeah, yes. My principle, I always told my children, never pay for cigarettes. <laughs> only, only ever get them if they're free on the floor, and I've stuck to that. <laughs> but uh, talk about your father. Do you, When you were becoming a father, did it make you think about your father and what he was like with you? Yes, I suppose it did. Yeah, I mean, I've always had a very close relationship with him and I'm the eldest of three boys. He was one of three boys as well. And um, he's always been very involved in um, in parenting and obviously therefore in fatherhood by definition. And um, yes, I think I, it did. I mean, it's sort of been a slow burn process that there's certainly been moments with my own children when I found myself saying something and thought, good grief, that is what dad used to say. Or I've done something either exactly like him or I've done things the polar opposite either because it's still I've still got that childish rebellion in me of I'm going to do a different way but just because you know <laughs> dad told me to do this so I'm going to do that instead or there are those things aren't there with all of us where um much as we adore our own parents um 
there are things we look and go, actually, I would do that a little bit differently. So, so yeah, it, it did. It certainly has made me reflect a lot on um, all those big questions around how do children get their morality, their identity, their, um, their, their loves, you know, the things they, that they enjoy doing. Is that nature nurture? What do we need to do to foster that, etc., etc.? Et and I've definitely looked back on my own childhood and, um, and, and thought about those things, yeah. Well, I think you're saying there about doing things differently to how your father mm. did them. I find I would do things differently to how I did them. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> I look back oh, and think, oh, well, I yeah. didn't get that right, did oh, I? Oh, totally. I tried that approach and that was a massive mistake. Yeah, and I think also when you, as I found when I wrote the book, you sort of write, this is how you should do things and this mm -hmm. is how, from my experience, it worked. And of course, I wrote that still with one of my children not having been born and the other one being only a few months old. And I've made exactly the same errors, you know, schoolboy errors with the youngest two having written a book about it saying you know this is the way that you should maybe try this or that and you can so easily look back I think on your own parenting journey and think oh good grief what was I doing and yet in the main they turn out all right and yeah. they're still <laughs> just about functioning I found um, one thing that helped me early on was to explain why I was getting cross and why I was about to lose my temper yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and that I was really annoyed now because I've lost my temper and I wish I hadn't lost my temper and so just sort of keep talking through it all but you, yeah. and then you look back at photos of them when they're asleep and they were babies mm. oh how could I ever be cross oh but, completely yeah but there's nothing like a child to make you absolutely furious mm. there's no one in the world can annoy me as much as my oh, children yeah completely there's a, a very good friend of mine in fact I mentioned her in the uh, not by name but I mentioned her in the book she called she has something that she refers to as the rage mm. which is um a, a kind of anger that you didn't even know you possessed until you had children. Apart and from when you talk to call centre. Yeah, That's yes, the only exactly. other time it comes <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, someone tells Irrational. you your call is important to you. Yeah. No, it really isn't. Yeah. Um, but there is, isn't there? There's a sort of different kind. And I think it's largely because you care so much. You want mm. the best for them. Um, uh, and you think you should be able to, to, to control them because they're yours. And actually, they're not yours. They are mm. on one level, but they're their own person. They're their own being. And they're, they're forging their own way in the world yeah yeah it's um it, I found that my daughter used to really annoy me up to about the age of nine the way my son couldn't but she would just wind me up and it, uh, parenting is great for humility because mm. you know you reach at the age of being a parent by then you've been working for a while maybe and you you have a certain high high esteem of yourself yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then you become a parent and you start again really mm. you're learning it all from the yeah. beginning yeah um, I also think there's that thing that if you're if you're not careful, people can put you or your family up on a pedestal. If you mm. if you appear, as I'm sure you know, you and your family do, you appear just to be happy, lovely people who are in this sort of you know safe, secure, wonderful nuclear family unit. And of course, on one level, that is true. Mm. And yet. If, if people sort of build you up into that too much, that can feel suffocating, that can feel a pressure, and actually it makes you want to turn around and, you know, shout the very same expletives that you're telling Charlie <laughs> not to shout in the car. And, and I think, we, you know, we mutually all together need to make sure that we don't sort of idolise particular people. Mm. Oh, that, he's a particularly brilliant dad, she's an amazing mum. Oh, aren't those children lovely? And of course you want to um, sort of affirm and encourage the children of the families around you, but 
if you go too far, it can make those people think, good grief, I'm a fraud because everybody thinks I've got it nailed and actually mm. back at base, it's all going to pop. Being a father can be really tricky because there was, um, they've done some studies where there's a, um, an organisation that measures the importance of father involvement mm. in children and they talk about the documented short-term costs of father involvement for men such as stress, increased work-family conflict, decreased self-esteem... <laughs> <laughs> um, and those are the different issues because when you become a father you've been used to probably doing maybe doing quite well at work mm. and so on and then you're in a whole new domain yeah where you're yeah. starting from the beginning and learning again I think you're that's so true and also it, it falls for many people doesn't it at a time when if you're working it's the busiest time of your working life to mm. date uh, and the same for you know same for mothers who are working but you know certainly from my perspective becoming a father coincided with a time when work was getting busier I mean also more enjoyable and more challenging and, and, and many positives about that but when you're trying to hold down an ever busier working life um, your relationship with your other half and then also throwing children into the mix it doesn't surprise me that actually a lot of dads can end up feeling pretty overwhelmed by it because you've also then got society's expectations of what a dad is what a dad should look like should do whatever and it can yeah it can be pretty overwhelming and, and what in your book you talk about uh, work-life balance but you don't like that phrase do you no i don't because it sort of suggests that work isn't life i think the danger if uh, the, the danger of the phrase work-life balance is it sort of implies that the only bits of life worth living are the relatively squeezed hours of the day or minutes even either side of when you are at work um, and it can create a huge amount of well a huge amount of pressure on that time but also it can devalue what you do mm. uh, uh, for a living and I'm well aware that many many people don't get to have the luxury of choosing what they do or doing a job that they enjoy a lot of people do jobs simply to pay their bills and could only dream of doing something that they get a huge amount of fulfillment from equally there are many of us who are blessed with that opportunity to do things where um, we feel really fulfilled and where it's using the thing that, you know the gifts that we have the, the things we're good at doing and so if you say work-life balance I think it kind of devalues that work and also for children I want my children to grow up in a world in which they think work is a really good thing mm -hmm. and if it is oh I'm going to work that's awful and then I have life afterwards mm -hmm. it, it sort of just places those thoughts into their head I think I mean mm. I, I say this is somebody who knows nothing about it and is not an expert <laughs> but I think it, it can imply oh work is bad um equally I get you know work-life balance it's an innocuous phrase we all know mm. what it means but I do think we have to be careful not to not to downplay the value of work and and what have you done to um sort of get over that in terms of time with the family time at work because you have a job where you are you're very important and you, about that. and you get you get interrupted by things yeah. important things happen that you have to deal with mm. and how do you manage that with the children I think it's about emphasising the positives to them as well. So my employer is brilliant and um, there, it's a very progressive organisation. It's very forward thinking in terms of um, valuing the, uh, you know, the, the role that parents play in their children's lives. And um, so, for example, if I haven't taken the children to school for a while, I will do that. I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. I'll take them to school. We'll have a lovely chat. Well, he says we'll have a lovely chat. But the last time I did it, hey, I'm taking you to school. Isn't it lovely? And just all the way there, my children were a nightmare and they wanted mummy to take them. And why was I doing it? Why wasn't I at work? Come on, this is the day I take you to school. It's meant to be the lovely, you know, happy family time. No, was it? Was it anything but that? But, but um, I think it's about 
articulating to them, oh, look, isn't this great? I can take you to school today. Um, so that when those moments come when I am interrupted, um, you would hope that if not now, then in the future, they would look back and go, yeah, you know, dad had to do things over the weekend. When stuff happened, he had to sort it out. But at those important times, when it was parents' evening, when I had my football match, when I wanted him or didn't want him to take me to school, yeah, he was there. Um, I also think with technology nowadays, it's, it's brought huge benefits. We talk a lot, rightly, about the challenges of technology, screen time for children, are we all addicted to our phones, etc., etc. But from my point of view, whilst I absolutely get all that, technology being what it is means that I can actually spend more time at home. I'm able to come back at a reasonable time, um, tuck them in, the little ones, spend a bit of time with the old ones. And then I will say, right, I need to do an hour of emails now. Um, but it's about reminding them that, you know what, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever, I... My, I wouldn't have seen my dad till eight o'clock because he'd have had to stay in the office just to get everything done. And actually now I can come back, I can spend a bit of time with you. I'm not for a moment suggesting they go, oh, how wonderful, <laughs> how enlightened, oh, how progressive, oh, how brilliant. But, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it's it's about trying to explain that to them. I think you make... Um, you bring out a couple of really interesting points there. The one is on the... Um, having time to take your children to school or whatever. Mm. There's, I don't know if you read the book by Tony Crabb called Busy. No. It's really good. And there was some chap who's very important, who's head of an American company or something. But he said, I, I have never missed whatever, school sports day, first day of school, this, that and the other. And I have my non-negotiables. Mm. And if there's a meeting that day, everyone knows I won't be there because yeah. it's non-negotiable. But I work weekends, I work late, and it's about finding flexibility mm. and what's really important, and I will be there for that. Yeah. But I won't be there for that. Mm. I think that's so true. And also, we can, if we're not careful, we can place demands on, on ourselves from above that don't even exist. So I think one thing we all have to do, if we're able to in our, in our working life, is say, actually... Why am I saying oh, I wouldn't be able to do that? Oh, no, I can't take the children to school. Oh, I, I couldn't possibly be there for that date. Well, actually, if your boss hasn't said that to you, is that just sort of a... a are you denying yourself the opportunity to be somewhere? We can all worry about that kind of the peer pressure of looking around and thinking, well, what if I leave before the rest of my colleagues mm -hmm. leave? What would people think? And actually, sometimes you have to just shut that down a bit and go, well, what's more important in the end? Am I going to still have my job tomorrow if I go to parents' evening tonight? Yes. Mm. And actually, you know, a colleague of mine was telling me that that uh, his boss, who was, who was also my boss, um, he, he said to his, uh, his boss once, um, oh, I'm just... Um, asking would it be possible if I take my daughter to nursery tomorrow um, because I, I need to and you know, for whatever reason and I thought our boss's reply was brilliant because he said I'm something along the line I mean I'm paraphrasing but something along the lines of I'm actually disappointed you've asked me I'd like you to just tell me make me aware I'm gonna be a little bit late tomorrow morning any problems let me know but please don't ever ask me if you can take your child to nursery if yeah. you don't turn up if every day you're not coming in until 11 o'clock well you know we might have a quiet word about it but this mm. idea that you have to ask permission I think for, for a lot of people they think no of course, of course you don't need mm. to 
Mm. And the and the other thing you mentioned there about having your big, you know, making a big effort to take the children mm. to school and they feel like they've been fobbed off because yeah. they don't have A1 mummy, they have yes. a substitute daddy. Yes. And they think, like, what have we done wrong? Yeah. Why oh, have we yeah. got this inferior taker to school yes. for yes. people? And it is difficult, I think, particularly for the parent who's not with the children the whole time. Mm. Because I know yeah. that Andy, when the children are little, he'd, he'd come in, of course, a dad comes in at, um, if they've been at work and the mother's been at home at, at you know, six or seven o'clock, yeah. worst time, mm. worst time yeah. of the day. Yeah. And I remember Andy coming in and saying, I didn't come home to hear you arguing like this. I said, why should it be any different? Yeah. <laughs> it's been like this all day. It's not, it's yeah. not you know, you're, it's not like the Queen has arrived yeah. and they're oh, going to behave themselves. Yeah. You might as well get it as well. Yeah, yeah oh, God, totally. And you, I think you place so much emphasis on that time, that kind of the hour before bed, which is, as you mm. say, Claire, it's the worst hour. They're fractious, the homework's not quite been finished, they're tired, whatever. I mean, whether they're very little, in which case they're just exhausted and they should be in bed already almost, or they're a bit older and, and their mind is on, I haven't done this with school tomorrow, I've not done the other, or they want to be, you know, on some WhatsApp group with their friends or whatever it is, and you come in going, hey, look, I'm here, I'm here, I'm back. You know, that is yeah. sort of ridden the horse over the hill and arrived home <laughs> yeah. as the, you know, the great I am. And, and actually, it's, it's anything but a lot of the time. And, and that is hard, I think, when you've sort of, you know, rushed away from work, got that train, stood all the way to wherever <laughs> because it's only an eight carriage rather than a 12, rushed home yeah. and got back and opened the front door. And actually, the, the reaction is sort of, mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and actually, if we go on to um, mothers as well, that I know I'm very guilty of seeing Andy as an extra asset yeah. in, <laughs> yes. in the whole bedtime palavas or whatever. He'll come mm. back from abroad or something. I'll say, oh, good, you're in time to do the kitchen floor or whatever it is yeah, you're doing. Yeah. That um, it's difficult for, um, you know, mothers and fathers, particularly when children are young, mm. are real tag teams, yeah. you know, and yeah. you're just taking it in turns to survive. Yeah, and, and you hand over, and I remember Andy coming in and immediately, would have been crying for hours mm. i said there you go there you go i've had enough because he can't do anything she wants to feed yeah, yeah <laughs> he feels yeah. useless so um it's very difficult and there's something about um in this research about involved fathers about mothers and i i rang true for me that mothers serve as gatekeepers to the father-child relationship um, and I thought it was funny, it said many women are ambivalent about greater father involvement for a variety of reasons, including concerns about their husband's co uh, competence as a caregiver, <laughs> feared loss of control over a domain in which they exercise significant power, and this is the best one, an unwillingness to change their standards for housework and childcare. Wow. <laughs> so I think that's, I mean, that's maybe a bit extreme, but I remember... Again, Andy coming in when Amelia was little and I and doing something with her. And I said, I've been keeping her alive all day. And you come in and she's, you know, you're throwing her in the air and everything. So it is, I think, with fathers, you have the extra dimension of mm. negotiating the role with the, with the mothers. Yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, I, I can't speak from... A position of authority on this because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not a mother but um, I, I can imagine for women who have had a baby and who are then on maternity leave or or are working part-time or, or are or not working whatever whatever their setup if you've gone from a world in which prior to that you were working full-time that was where your identity was if then your identity becomes for however long I am at home with the children caring for them if somebody else even if it is your husband somebody else comes in 
and sort of tries to do it as well. I can I can see that that actually you sort of think well, no, this is my identity. This is what I'm doing. We're doing we're doing things a certain way. We've done it like this all day, and then you come through the door as you say at half past six and do it differently. Yeah, that must be. Yeah, challenging. But I, I think one thing with that, though, is one of the unique roles of fathers, which is really, really important, and I laugh when I heard this, is that they introduce their children to a higher level of risk. <laughs> and that's what fathers are important to. They have a different attitude to risk mm. than the mothers, and that's uh, that's really important for the children, to yeah. have the father throwing them up in the yeah, air and yeah. messing around with them and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you think back to your own childhood memories and... Those are the things I remember very fondly. I remember my dad getting home from work and us all bundling onto him and <laughs> and him doing things. And still now, I mean, doing things that would make my mum wince. But uh, yeah, he's certainly not risk averse. Yes, yes. Well, I think that the fathers have um, a bit more luxury in terms of being the fun ones, that mm. you can be the fun ones. And you hear all these stories about, you know, that you've been trying to get a pee down your child's neck all week. Yeah. And then, uh, or this would happen with Andy, he'd come in and cash in on sausage and beans. <laughs> Like, I've been saving sausage and beans. That's my banker meal. <laughs> and you've done it now. And I'm back to whatever, pasta bolognese. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, but fathers, I think, are supposed to be fun. Mm, and... Definitely, definitely. And I think well, children need that, don't they? They need that sense of fun and abandon. They need to be able to just sort of let themselves run free and do things that are... Um, engaging, enjoyable, fun, different, you know, mm. absolutely. I remember talking about the uh, relationship with the mother. Um, I heard a very good sermon. I've seen it somewhere else as well, where they say that one of the most important things fathers can do for um, their children is to love their mothers. Mm. Love, well, not mm. their own mothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that as well. But love the mother of their children mm. because, you know, that's supportive and affirmative. Yeah. And on that topic, you arranged a very special treat for your wife for Mother's Day this year. Can you remember what it was? Oh, good grief. What did I do? I'm now trying to... This is embarrassing. Uh, you know what I did. And I, what did she do for Mother's Day this year? Oh, this is awful. It was only a few, it was only a few weeks ago. It, was, it, it involved a trip to either her parents or your parents. And the four children were all dressed up. Were they? Four... <laughs> It was a Pompey. Oh, uh, it was. Oh, yes, yeah. Very well, you know, it was, a very, it was very special. Yes, no, I, I, I blotted that out of my memory. Yes, this was. Because she might have forgotten the, yeah. it as well. She might have forgotten. Yeah, all four children in their Pompey kit because Portsmouth were playing, who was it? Was it either the Carabao Cup final? Um, which we, yeah, and we actually we watched it and my mum and dad's, that was it. We played Sunderland, we beat Sunderland on penalties. How can I forget? As a Pompey fan, come my eldest would, would chastise me yeah, yeah. for uh, forgetting. Yeah, no, no, that was, um, that was a rather different Mother's Day to what, what she might have been expecting. Yeah, four children kitted out in football kit. I did think, actually, I, I saw the Facebook post and I thought, golly, he's taken them away for the day. What a, what a great Mother's Day present. She is going to stay Sadly home. not. Not on this occasion. There's um, always next year, Claire. Always next year. It's next year. Yeah. Well, I'm sure she's got something special planned for you for Father's Day. Oh, I'm day. sure. I hope so. <laughs> but um, I think about the role of um, fathers a mm. bit more. Um, do, and and uh, as they change into being sort of teenagers, what do you think um, might change? Can you see things changing with your oldest son, you know, father something? Yeah, I can. I mean, I think one of the things I find very interesting with my with my eldest son is the fact that there are some things where he's very clearly boyish, traditional mm. boy, traditional man, as, as he would be. But there are other things which actually... 
as he grows older, I realise he needs more of that don't necessarily fit into that box. So affirmation and, mm. you know, being told that he looks great that kind of thing he's somebody who um is not always the most confident sort of physically on things so making sure i really affirm him in that way is not something i'd necessarily have expected um but is something that i have to do more i think certainly that that emotional support is um is very clearly needed as they get older but also i think as they navigate this digital world in which we now live knowing how to um how to parent them and how the thing that I'm I am finding a real challenge is how much do we tell them about the kind of things they're going to encounter mm. because you've got to get that balance right and I don't know how you strike it between making them very aware of the kind of things that they will see on other people's phones or the kind of things that they will be invited to participate in through their friends or through other people at school equally I don't want when my son is 10 to talk to him in detail about internet pornography because mm. I just don't think that that should be necessary at the age of 10 to take away what he still has of his child innocence mm. um so that certainly is something which um which occupies my my thinking when i think about okay how do i help him how do i support him as he moves into um into secondary school mm. and i think it's also about trying to create a home environment in which he feels able to bring his friends back that's something that that my wife and i have talked about a lot what, what i remember from my own childhood my parents were, were brilliant in many ways but one particular way was they created a home in which everybody was welcome and which my friends actually wanted to come back to because there was always a you know a cake being made and they could have a slice of that there was always another place at the table there was always a you know a sleeping bag on the floor for someone who needed to stay over um and and at the time i didn't really think much of it i remember feeling quite proud that my friend said can we come back to your mum and dad's can mm. we, is that where we can go and we can hang out um and I would love to create that kind of environment as well, because I think as they grow older, the more you can be a little part of their network of friends, not in it, you know, you don't want to be overbearing, but the more you can know them, you can create a, a space in which they want to kind of dwell, the better your opportunity to, to maintain that, that mm. relationship with them. I, th I think one of the things that um, will be of benefit for your children is to see, and what, what a lot of children pick up on, is the relationship between the mother and the father. Mm. And they say that uh, it's very important for children to see how fathers treat their partners. Yes. For them to learn how to treat women. Mm. And um, uh, because I think, I, I mean, if my son's anything to go by, he's essentially misogynistic <laughs> and thinks all girls <laughs> are a waste of space. <laughs> it's only a phase. <laughs> There'll be a quick about turn, I'm sure, in a few years' time. Well, I think that's the joy of uh, <laughs> yeah. puberty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but they say for teenage girls, uh, the way there are various ways fathers are unique, mm. and fathers are really, really important for teenage girls for how they relate to men. So, mm. how teenage girls relate to their father will yeah. reflect how they relate to men mm. afterwards. Mm. And I think the, well, your daughters aren't teenagers yet, but I think. Uh, it becomes slightly more complicated when yeah. the girls start growing up. I bet, I bet, yeah. I mean, I'm, mine are only nine and, and six at the moment, nearly mm. nine, not quite nine, eight and six at the moment. Um, but I see that already with them, and, I, and I'm very, very aware of how, actually, in our family, because we, we're in a very male family, certainly on my, on my, my side, so mm. again, my dad, one of two brothers, uh, one of three brothers, I'm one of three brothers, we have all male cousins on that side of the family, etc., etc. Um, they don't have my, my, you know, my girls growing up 
don't have other women to kind of mm. model things other than their mum, really, and then their, their, their grandparents. Um, and I'm very aware that when it comes to, to modelling that father-daughter relationship, that is a, a kind of a, a version of what they're going to see in other male-female relationships. And it's, you know, it's going to impact their life as they grow up. Mm. And I think the issue of respect is something, well, in some ways, you know, for fathers, uh, your generation or our generation growing up is a whole new generation of fathering mm. because it was even my father was more... Um, you know, more emotionally tight, <laughs> you know, and then yeah. not expected to be in touch with his feelings mm. and able to articulate how he felt. Yes. I mean, I find that absolutely fascinating, the sort of whole area of um, the degree to which the culture that we live in informs our own parenting. The idea mm. that men didn't attend the birth of their mm. own child yeah. just to, the, to nowadays seems to us to be kind of almost abhorrent. You sort of think, mm. what, that, how? And yet at the time, that was the done thing. And I don't think any of us could claim that we would have sort of, you know, broken through that, well, not glass ceiling, whatever it would have been, mm. to, to, be, to be, no, I'm going to be in that delivery room. We probably would have just gone down the pub and waited for the, yeah. you know, well, not even the phone call. I mean, how did you even find out? Someone just sort of come and find you or did you come back in a few hours? I mean, I don't even know. Depends uh, when the pub shut. Yes, yeah, really. yeah. <laughs> But it seems preposterous now. And yeah. yet, at the time, that was the dumb thing, which makes me wonder, what are those things nowadays that mm. in 30, 40, 50 years' time, people will look back and go, can you believe that men never did X mm. or Y or women were not allowed to do Z? And, and now we're sort of blinkered and, and blind to what those things would be. Um, but you're right, our children are growing up in a world in which we are more, I think we are more enlightened, undoubtedly, and the role of fathers is is a far broader one in terms of what is expected from or encouraged from mm. men. Um, you know, when you go into, I mean, I, I thought just the other day I was in a restaurant and it was just a little thing, but on both the male and female loos, there was a baby changing sign. Oh, uh, yeah, and you think, yeah. Well, why not? I mean, brilliant. Yes. Of course, well, why, why should it be that you have to go into the women's toilets to change a baby's nappy? And yet even that feels like a relatively new mm. thing. I think if you went back 10 years and went into the average restaurant or pub, the most you could hope for is that there might be a sort of, you know, a disabled loo with a changing area as well mm. that was sort of gender neutral. The idea that they'd have it on the men's toilet doors, you sort of think, well, no, surely they wouldn't. So, yeah, it's interesting to see those things change, isn't it? There is, um, I, I think one of the things that's been documented that's really improving is the amount of time fathers spend with their children mm. and mm. the difference that that makes. And this involved parenting or involved fatherhood institute comes up with all sorts of... Um, positive aspects of fathers being involved mm. and uh, some of the things are that, that they have higher children with uh, involved fathers have higher cognitive development they are more emotionally stable um, a, a really interesting one actually was um, about uh, having uh, being able to score high on measures of self-acceptance and personal and social adjustment. So there's a lot of mental health that's associated with fathers being involved. And uh, I, I don't know how far yet the, the research might change as time goes by. Um, it's an extra adult being involved. And obviously mm. a father is intimately involved and very full of love and uh, an extra parent involved. So whether it would be mm. the same for same sex or yeah, whatever, yeah. that you have twice as much love 
coming yes, at you. Yeah, yeah. And, and more time, I heard a really interesting radio programme that's talking, I think, about single families, parent families, and uh, some of the issues were just lack of resources and they mm. don't have that extra person I bet. to yeah. take the stress off you yeah, completely. when you're on your own. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think of the amazing single parent families, both male and female, that I know. Mm. Um, and I think aside from the sheer practical element of, you know, who's going to hold hands to cross the road and who's going to do these jobs and clear up and, you know, four hands involved instantly makes everything easier mm. uh, compared to two. I think the, the thing I admire so much in my friends who, who parent on their own is that they do that and they don't then have somebody that they can let off steam to about mm. it. It's that emotional support, isn't it? That... Mm. Um, feeling that you're in it together, which when you are doing it on your own, you would hope that those around you are as supportive as they possibly can be. Um, and that whether whether people are, you know, single for whatever reason, that those people who are close to them will go, right, we'll step in, we'll kind of, if not co-parent, we'll certainly help you with the bringing up of your children and be there. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, I think to do that and not then have somebody at the end of the day to say, grief, this is driving me mad or... Mm-hmm. Thank you for helping me with that. It must be incredibly hard, incredibly hard. It's And just having another perspective on yeah. things. And uh, one yeah. thing that's come out of the research as well is that fathers have more accurate assessments of their children's ability than the mothers. That's really interesting. <laughs> so, so they're more likely also to predict future problems mm. um, or behavioural issues. Yeah. And I guess maybe they're just slightly less um, blinded, um, they, they rate mothers more highly on nurturing mm. and so on, and fathers on preparing children for life. That's actually incredibly encouraging to hear as a father, because mm. I think when you are actually doing your parenting, as it were, day to day, you don't stop and think about the sort of psychological effects or the, <laughs> the mental health and well-being of your children. I mean, you do in the broadest mm. sense, you want to be doing things that are uh, helping them to grow into the people that they're made to be and all that kind of thing. But actually hearing those, uh, you know, that expert research saying, no, actually, fathers do this, they do that, they do the other. It is encouraging because I think at the time you're doing it in a fog of, sort of you know, <laughs> you're just muddling your way through or doing mm. what you think, what you hope is best, mm. but never quite knowing whether you're, you know, in the right place. I think one of the greatest weapons in a parent's armoury is apology. Being able to apologise to your children and yeah. say, yeah, oh, I, I got that totally wrong. Yeah. Um, and again, when you have two parents, you know, one of you with us, it tends to be one of us gets cross <laughs> and the other one isn't. Um, yeah. And that's much easier when mm. there's two of you and you think, oh, he's doing the cross bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phew, yes. I can just, I can just relax. Or sometimes I just totally lose it and mm. I say, I'm taking myself off to my room. Yeah. <laughs> I've had enough. I'm going to my room for a while. And then he can pick up the pieces. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, it is really important. I, uh, there was another really interesting thing. It's great to hear about the differences between mothers and fathers because they're equally important mm. but have unique roles. Uh, one thing was about the reaction to baby's cry, a baby's cry. Yeah. With mothers, if a baby's crying, first of all, they're more likely to hear the baby. Did you hear the research that men were more likely to be woken by a buzzing a fly? A car alarm. A, a yes, car alarm yes, a yeah. fly than a baby's cry. But then also the mothers will launch into nurturing mode of oh, soothing mm. and all that. And the, the uh, research says that men originally, the testosterone drops and they think, right, let's nurture, let's mm. be 
loving. But if the crying goes on too long, it surges into there is a problem here that needs fixing. God. And uh, and so kind of I'll, protector mode almost. Yeah, yeah, protector, thinking alert, 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 yeah, baby yeah. crying, can't fix it. <laughs> Let's get extra resources. Um and and you know, fathers are protective and, mm. and what people look to their fathers, I think, you know, in an ideal situation to be protected. Mm. And the mother will say they're there. Yeah. And the yeah. father will say, pick yourself up. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> but uh, it is interesting, though, how your, your relationship with your son in particular changes because up to about the age of two, uh, boys are very focused on mothers. Mm. But from two onwards, they start looking to the fathers, thinking, what is a man? What yeah. am I? What yeah. is going on here? Mm. And then in teenage years, if uh, our experiences are anything to do with, it becomes complicated again. That There's a story with my... Um, brother-in-law who was uh, giving his son a kiss goodnight and he did this you know when he got home from work every night and then one night he went to give his kiss her son a kiss goodnight and the son said get away from me you minger <laughs> <laughs> and so that changed yes. and then for the that next... wasn't a slow and steady you know, <laughs> no. gradual subtle change that one was it you thought that's not going to change yeah. and for about the next six years he couldn't actually enter the room with his father without sneering and <laughs> feeling he was in the presence of a remote uh, you know vastly inferior <laughs> being and now they get on very well now they get on very yeah, well yeah i think it's about that long game though isn't it I mean, yes. you're saying that they get on well now it can be you know i love the fact that we talk more about parenting now there are more books and articles mm. and all, but we can become a little too earnest sometimes and everything mm. is analyzed and everything is sort of we do things because it's part of our plan for what we're doing with our children and then if it doesn't quite work you go oh good grief it's all gone wrong and just taking that step back to go mm. do you know what this is about playing the long game it's mm. about being there for them it's not all going to be plain sailing there will be periods of time where they are going completely off in a different direction to the one that we thought or hoped they would but as so long as it's not life-threatening as so long mm. as it's not something deeply concerning actually if you're still there for them and if they know that and they have that security of knowing that that your home and your family unit is one where there is support and acceptance then mm. you know it's pretty likely that in the end all will be well it's come out I don't, I don't know about you but i can't remember my parents ever being quite as cross as i ever was or no, no. bad or anything <laughs> yes. but it, i do remember them smacking me one time and i couldn't remember for years i just remember they gave me a smack and i asked them when i was about 20 you know why did you do that and they said oh you said a swear word <laughs> when I was about six and we told you not to say it and you said it again and so we gave oh. you a smack and I it's funny because I always knew I shouldn't swear around my parents I'm mm. not a swearing person but and then I also reflecting on um, my father he's a brilliant father and I you know love being with him and mm. his wisdom but I remember when I was a teenager one time him saying to me I was thinking of things for us to talk about I was planning some topics for us to talk about when we met mm. up and I, that really touched me because I thought, am I difficult to talk to? Or am I? But I was touched that he, I, you know, a teenage girl is quite difficult mm. to get, you know, where, where are your uh, points of reference between the father and uh, who's very sports mad and a teenage mm. girl who's mm. doing other things um, or might be sports mad, but, you know, doesn't always have the same um, interests. Yeah. And the idea that he was planning his time with me and I thought that was it was sort of drawing the veil back on yeah, parenting yeah. and letting him in to, mm. uh, letting letting me in to what was going on yeah. and why he was finding it difficult yeah. uh, I don't know if I was particular I must have been not responding very well to yeah. him which is why he was explaining he tried really he's a yeah. diplomat as well he tried really hard to think of topics of conversation yeah. 
but I think that thing about humility with your children and as you're saying saying you know I, I know I'm maybe didn't do that well or yeah. I haven't got this right mm. but you know that's brilliantly intentional though isn't it the fact mm. that he's actually gone out and said that and let, as you say let you into that world a bit mm. 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 you just you throw ourselves on our children's compassion yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'll be kind to us <laughs> well Sam thank you so much for sharing your My thoughts pleasure. on fatherhood me, uh, with me and it's uh, yeah I love thinking about fathers mm. and the, the roles they play and they're just so important mm. that, you know it's a it's a vital position and we we really need to celebrate fathers particularly around Father's mm. Day and celebrate um, the unique roles and we find out more and more about what impact they really have yeah. in their children's lives so mm. we really want all fathers to feel encouraged <laughs> The fathers aren't just uh, additional assets, yeah, as I see, yeah. <laughs> but actually give their children a really unique um, uh, blessing in their yeah, lives yeah. from being fathers. Mm. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you for having me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Sam Jackson, uh, author of Diary of a Desperate Dad. Uh, he has hinted to me, well, he didn't really hint, he told me that there might be a follow-up book in the uh, in the offing um, and I'd certainly be really interested to listen to it because I think he's really full of wise thoughts about being a father. Another bit of research I didn't get around to quoting I find really interesting it's from Grossman in 2002 it talks about the emotional security of children being linked to the quality of parenting they receive from their mothers and, and fathers but with mothers and fathers each having a different effect. So how well mothers cared for their infants up to 12 months old made a difference to their child's emotional security. However, how well fathers played with their children measured at ages two and six was significantly related to children's emotional security at ages 10 and 16. So the, um, the amount of playing and the quality of playing that fathers do with their children makes a difference to how emotionally secure those children feel all the way through into their teenage lives and probably into adulthood. But on the opposite side, the quality of the father's care and the quality of the mother's play didn't seem to affect the child's emotional security at 6, 10 or 16 years old. So um, that it probably, you know, mothers playing with children and fathers caring for them obviously makes a difference, but it's the emotional security isn't as affected. But um, the reason I think that research is interesting is it just shows that uh, what different roles mothers and fathers have, but how each of those roles plays a part in um, ensuring that children are as happy and secure and balanced as possible and have the best possible impact and uh, in start, a start in their lives. So I am Claire Pay from Mothers Matter. I'm on Facebook on Mothers Matter podcast, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It's at Podcast Mothers and you can email mothersmatter at outlook.com. I have lots of this research written down and um, I'd be happy to send it to you. So happy Father's Day to all. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mothers Matter. Thank you to James Ede from Be Heard, who has done the audio production. And thank you to Mothers at Home Matter for all their support. 
If you have any positive comments, anything nice to say, please write to mothersmatter at outlook.com. If you feel it's really necessary, please send any constructive feedback to the same address, mothersmatter at outlook.com. And please do subscribe. I really, really would love it if you would subscribe. I'm hoping to do a number of very interesting interviews and to give a voice to mothers everywhere. My name is Claire Pay, and you've been listening to the Mothers Matter podcast. Thank you.